Mark chapter 8, and I'd like for us to begin in verse number 1, and we'll read down through verse number 10. In those days, the multitude being very great, and having nothing to eat, Jesus called His disciples unto Him, and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with Me three days, and have nothing to eat. If I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse of them came from far. And His disciples answered Him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit on, down on the ground. And he took seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples and set before them. And they did set before the people. And they had a few small fishes. And he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled. And they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about four thousand. And he sent them. Away. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless your word this morning by teaching us what we need to know and showing us how we need to be more like Christ, that we would be transformed into his image to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Humans are naturally very selfish creatures. If we're left to our own devices, we are always going to turn inward and do the things that make us happy and that satisfy our desires. We project that onto our relationships. We view our relationships with others as a way to get what we want and to achieve our own self-serving goals. And because of this selfish tendency, it is very difficult for us to have genuine compassion. Even the acts of kindness that we do can be motivated by a selfish desire, like just to feel good about ourselves or to somehow be viewed positively by others for what we've done. Jesus, in great contrast to you and I, had no selfish tendencies whatsoever. Everything that Jesus did was motivated by the holy desire to do good for others. He is the model of true compassion. And in Mark chapter 8, in these verses that we've read, we find a story that illustrates the great lengths to which Jesus would go in order to demonstrate genuine compassion on others. It's one of the two stories of Jesus feeding a multitude. On this particular occasion, Jesus fed over 4,000 people. And a lot of times we, we focus on the material aspect of how He took just a small amount of food and miraculously He multiplied that so that this, this huge multitude had so much to eat that they were full and they had more left over than what they began with. And it truly was a miracle that Jesus performed here. But sometimes we overlook the motivation for the miracle. Why did Jesus do this? And Jesus stated His motivation for us in verse number 2. Notice again the words of Jesus as we begin this story. What did He say? He said, I have compassion on the multitude. 
And what he did from there in performing this miracle to meet their need was not done solely to demonstrate his deity and his power as God the Son, but rather it was also to demonstrate true compassion. And if we follow that line of thought throughout the story, we find details in what Jesus did that help us to know how we can follow his example and we can also have true compassion on others. True compassion means that you're paying attention to other people and their needs. It means that you're taking the time to get to know them so that you can know what those needs are. And it means that you're willing to sacrifice of what little that you might have in order to be a blessing to them, in order to meet their needs, trusting God to stretch your resources far beyond what you think is even possible. Having true compassion means that you're not living for yourself. You're living to glorify God by serving and genuinely caring for others. So I want you to notice with me four aspects of genuine compassion. The title of the message today is simply how to have compassion like Jesus. Number one, the first aspect of genuine compassion is observation. Observation. As we're looking at the beginning of this story, verses 1 and 2, the Bible tells us that, that at this point in Jesus' earthly ministry, there was a large number of people that were following him. Later we find out that it was in the range of 4,000. A huge crowd was following Jesus, and at this particular point, they were not in the middle of a bustling town. They were out in the wilderness-type area. People had traveled great distances to come to hear Jesus, and they had nothing to eat. So Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said in verse 2, I have compassion on them because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. <coughs> Excuse me. It's interesting that in the midst of this great crusade, you might call it, that Jesus took time out to have this conversation with his disciples about something very practical, enough food for the crowd to eat. And a lot of times when we think about Jesus and the multitudes, we see Jesus on the hillside and we just see this, this kind of this mass, this conglomerate of humanity on the other side. But you know, when Jesus looked out at the multitude, he didn't see one single mass of humanity. Do you know what Jesus saw? He saw individual people. He saw mothers and fathers and husbands and wives and sons and daughters and brothers and sisters. He saw every individual for who they were. Jesus noticed people. And true compassion begins when you and I choose to actually notice people. I think about some of the stories in the Bible about Jesus and particular individuals that he took special time just for them. Let me pick just one for this morning. The story of Zacchaeus. You know, he was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. And he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, what did he do? He looked up in the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house this day. That's the children's song we sing about that. 
But you know, when you look at that story in the Bible, you find that that day Jesus was surrounded by throngs of people as he was traveling through and he had been speaking and people were being uh, uh, coming to him and, and there's all of these people around. And has it ever occurred to you how wonderful it truly was that Jesus stopped everything that he was doing to address one individual by the name of Zacchaeus? Why? Because Jesus cares about individuals. When, when we read in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, sometimes we can kind of get a blurry view of that. And we view it as God's love on just this, this great single mass of people known as the world. But God's love is not for one single mass. It's for every single individual. Jesus noticed people. And when Jesus looked out on the multitude this day, He didn't see just one crowd. He saw thousands of individual people who had a need. Keep your finger in Mark chapter 8 and turn back a few pages to Matthew chapter 22. One day Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? And in Matthew 22, we find Jesus' answer, beginning in verse 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. So the most important command, love God with all your heart, and with all your being. But Jesus did not stop there. He went on in verse 39. He said, The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy... What's that next word there? neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I want you to notice something about the word that we just said out loud together. The word neighbor. Is it in the plural or in the singular? Singular. It does not say love your neighbors. It's not what Jesus said here. He used the singular. Why did he do that? It's because loving can only rightfully be applied to individuals. How can you say you love your neighbors if you never express love to any neighbor? Singular. Has it ever struck you that? We have lots of neighbors. And so which, one of them are, which ones of them are we supposed to love? Yes, each of them. And that starts by taking the time to notice, to pay attention, to not be so wrapped up in ourselves that we don't notice those around us. Listen, the world we live in today is so distracted. We don't take time to notice others. We don't do the simple things just to get our eyes up off of our screen long enough to notice other people. We don't go out to eat very often, but when our family goes out to eat, I'm always astounded as I look around the restaurant, and I can't say definitely this statistic is true, but it seems like 70 to 80% of the people in the restaurant are doing this number right here. Four people at a booth, and all of them not even looking at each other. I guess if they want to say something, they'll just text the person across from them, you know? We're so distracted today. 
We're so caught up in ourselves that even if we do lift our eyes up to look on the multitudes, we don't actually take time to notice them. But Philippians chapter 2 verse 4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Did you know God has commanded us to notice other people? To actually observe them like Jesus did here. I have compassion on the multitude because they now have been with me three days and have nothing to eat. The first step in having compassion like Jesus is observation. But then the second step, write down this word, information. Information. Back in Mark chapter 8, verse number 3, Jesus said, If I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse of them came from far. Now, it's that last phrase I want you to think with me about. How did Jesus know that many, many of these people had come from a long ways away? How did he know that? There's one of two possibilities. Possibility number one, he exercised his omniscience as God the Son so that he knew it supernaturally. The scripture does not say, so I cannot say that for sure that's not what Jesus did. But even if he did it that way, which I'm not inclined to believe he did it that way, even if he did, you and I don't have access to that. So then let's consider this question. If you and I were in Jesus' position, how would we know how far these people had come from? There's a simple answer. Ask. Ask. And it is my belief that that's how Jesus came to know it on this day as well. That by actually interacting with people and asking them questions and having conversations that Jesus gathered information about them. If you want to write another helper word down for this point, you could also use the word interrogation. But that kind of has a little bit of a negative context. So I just went with information. But no, he took the time to get to know them, to learn about them. It's fascinating to me as you read through the Gospels, how many times Jesus asked questions. Now sometimes he asked questions in the midst of a conversation to, to draw people to the right answer. But there are some times that he asked a question so that information could be revealed. Now, not so that he could learn it for the first time because he is omniscient, but so that information could be brought to light for everybody to know. For instance, one time a blind man came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, have mercy on me. Well, everybody was probably going to conclude what he meant by that was he wanted to be healed and be given his sight. But you know what Jesus said? He said... What would thou have me to do? And you know what the man said? Lord, that I might receive my sight. Jesus asked that question so that the information would be brought to light. And in our relationships with other people, if we're going to have true compassion, then we have to be willing to gather the information about them. 
to get to know people. We are so selfish that many times we're not willing to expend the energy that it takes to get to know someone, to truly get to know them. Because it does take effort on our part. It, it requires us to do a little more than just smile and shake their hand and say, it's good to see you. It, it requires us to actually engage someone in meaningful conversation. That means listening to what they say. The only way you're going to learn about someone else is if you're willing to listen while they talk to you. And to ask them questions that will result in you gaining more information. And this is something that I believe all of us need to practice more regularly. To intentionally engage people in conversation. But you know, people often don't ask meaningful questions. And by meaningful, I mean something better than how are you doing today, you know. You know, a lot of times we'll say, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm, I'm doing okay. Oh, that's good. And we go on with our life. Wait a second. Didn't you hear something in the, in the tone there that maybe there was something else going behind that? That was an opportunity for you to stop and give this person your attention for a few moments and engage them in a meaningful conversation to get to know them. You might find out they've actually had a pretty rough week. And while they know in their head they're doing okay because God's in control, but they're on their last nerve, you know. But you're not going to know that if you don't care enough to ask. But see, we're so wrapped up in ourselves, we're so consumed in our own interests that we have no interest in another person's thoughts or opinions, their history, their personality, or anything like that. We're so self-absorbed. We've got enough of our own problems to deal with, right? And what a selfish mentality that is. How did Jesus know that if he sent these people home, that some of them would faint by the way because they had come from a long ways away? How did he know that? Because he took the time to get the information. He got to know them. So not only did he notice them, he got to know them. And this was a huge crowd, this 4,000 4, or so people that Jesus was, was talking about that day. We don't know exactly how he did it. We don't have the video of it. We don't see, did Jesus walk through the crowd in this particular way? We don't know how often he stopped and engaged individuals. and We don't know exactly how it worked, but we do know this. Jesus knew what these people's needs were. And then number three, how are we going to have pet compassion like Jesus? There's got to be observation. There's got to be information. Number three, then there has to be consideration. Consideration. Again, look at verse number three. Jesus said, if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse of them came from far. He observed that they had been with him for three days. He noticed that. He had learned, quote-unquote, that they were from far away, and therefore he rightly concluded that many of them might not make it home safely. And here's the important point. That concerned him. 
He was considerate of their well-being. The definition of considerate that I'm using here is when you show kindly awareness or regards for another's feelings and their circumstances. So this is the next step. You observe and you, you are informed, but now do you actually care about what you've learned? There are a lot of people who are very, very observant of others. And they're very good at gathering information about it. But they don't actually care about those people. All they want to do is print something in the tabloid. You see, it's entirely possible to notice and to learn and not do the right thing with the information that you get. You have to add to that a genuine care and a genuine concern for the needs of others. And that is what was at the core that was motivating Jesus today is that they were, he cared about their plight. He cared that there was, there was a danger here. If I send them away, some of them are going to faint. I don't want that to happen. Jesus cared about them. He cared about their needs. And it's at this point that true compassion begins to show itself. Observation and information are necessary, but without consideration, there is no compassion. It's possible for two people to observe the same person in the same circumstance and have the same information and for one to have compassion and another not. In fact, Jesus told a story about that. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And verse number 30. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an end, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? You all know this story of the Good Samaritan. In this story that Jesus told, a man was assaulted by some thieves and left for dead. And shortly thereafter, there came along a couple of religious leaders in succession, first a priest and then a Levite. And both of them came and they saw him and they observed his plight and they rightly concluded that he had a need. But what did they do? They passed by on the other side. Along comes the Samaritan, sees the same man in the same place, in the same plight, rightly concludes in the same way, this man has a need, and what does he do? He meets his need. He takes care of him. Just observing and just learning is not the same as having compassion if there's not genuine concern for other people's needs. Now, 
In this particular story, Jesus concluded with a question. Which of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Now Jesus asked this question because the story was told to answer a question. The man that Jesus was speaking with had asked Jesus, Well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor, tell me which one? Who is it? And in this story, Jesus turned the question on his head and basically said, it's not about who is a neighbor to you. It's about who you are a neighbor to. The the man who stopped, who noticed, who learned, and who cared is the one who genuinely loved his neighbor, singular, as himself. That is the essence of true compassion. We are to have a genuine concern for the needs of others. But again, so often our view is on us. We're so consumed with our problems and our needs. And look, I know we all have them. We do. We all have these burdens that we carry around with us. And we feel like, I've got to give all my energy to these or else I can't, I'm I'm going to get swept up with them. I'm going to get drowned by them. But the truth of the matter is, as long as we turn our focus inward, as long as we are zeroing in on our problems to the exclusions of everyone else's, all we're doing is magnifying those problems. Galatians chapter 6 tells us that we're to bear one another's burdens. And it also tells us a couple verses later that we're to bear our own burden. You know what that means? That means that we all help each other out by bearing our, our, our own load and helping other people bear their load too. So we need to get our minds off of ourselves. We need to begin to genuinely care about the needs of others. But yet had Jesus stopped at this point, we would not say that he had genuine compassion that day. Yes, he observed. Yes, he was informed. Yes, he had genuine concern and consideration for them. But if he had not done something to meet their need, when it was in his power to do so, we would not conclude that Jesus had compassion. We would say he was selfish that day. But thankfully, Jesus did not stop there. And back in Mark chapter 8, at verse number 4, Jesus began to do something about the problem. He said, these these people are hungry. And so the disciples asked him, well, how are we going to feed them? How are we going to feed these thousands of people? We don't have enough food here. What do you expect us to do? And Jesus asked, verse number 5, how many loaves have you? And they had seven. Now, I didn't get a degree in math. I like math, enjoyed it in high school, and so on and so forth. But even with my simple mathematical brain, I can tell you that seven loaves is probably not going to be enough to feed 4,000 people. Seven loaves, that was all they had. So what does Jesus do? Well, he says, we'll work with what we got. Have everybody sit down, and he began to divide the loaves. They had a little bit of fish there too, and so he blessed that, and he commanded those to be set before the people. And so the Bible says that they did eat and were filled. Jesus did a miracle. 
I know that we read that and we think, well, that's great. That's Jesus. He can do that. Or if you're like me, you kind of wonder yourself, how exactly did he do that? Like, how did that look? How did he, did he like, you know, turn them into loaves of bread the size of a bus and then cut them up? Or how did he do it? I don't know. Maybe he broke off a piece and then pulled it out and it just kept coming and coming and coming. I don't know. But we think, well, that's Jesus. Of course Jesus can do that because he's God the Son and he's omnipotent. But wait, let's, let's not forget the humanity of Christ and, it's, and more importantly, the humanity of the disciples that were there because I now want to think about what was going through the disciples' minds when Jesus said, give me your lunch. Most men that I know kind of like their lunches. And I wonder, were they thinking, if we, if we give this to the multitudes, we're not going to have anything to eat. I mean, there's not enough in any way possible to go around for everybody as it is. And if, if, we, if we give this up, we're going to go hungry. They were being asked to sacrifice what the little they had for the needs of others. But because they gave it to Jesus, look what Jesus did with it. He stretched that tiny amount and made it so that it was more than enough. In fact, it tells us that in verse number 8, they took up the broken meat that was left seven baskets. Jesus turned seven loaves into seven baskets full after having fed 4,000 with it. The point here, and this is our last word, how to have compassion like Jesus. Try to think of an easy word for us to remember. So let's jot down the word donation. Donation. So we had, what was first? Observation. All right. Second was in information or interrogation. You got to find out. Third was consideration. And the number four donation. In other words, Jesus gave to meet their need. Compassion must be based on a genuine godly love for your neighbor. So it is not true compassion if it does not lead you to give. To give of yourself and to give of your resources to help them. Because God's kind of love is a love that is characterized by giving. That is how God demonstrated His love toward us. He gave His only begotten Son. That is why 1 Corinthians 13 describes God's kind of love as charity. Because it is love that is characterized by giving. It was the missionary Amy Carmichael who said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Love that doesn't give is selfish love. It is self-serving love, and therefore it is not godly love. And the only person who receives any benefit from that kind of love is you, and that benefit won't last very long either. Because that brief feeling of Carnal happiness will quickly fade away. 
That's why the Bible teaches us that we must put actions to our words of love. What if Jesus, instead of actually giving these people something to eat, had just walked through the crowd that day and said, you know what, I'm so sorry you're hungry. I hope you make it okay. I'm so sorry you're hungry. I know you got a long ways to go. And look, I'll be praying for you that you'll be all right. And I'm sorry you're hungry. I I wish I had a little more, but all I've got is seven loaves and I, I can't give that to everybody, can I? So hope you do all right. What if Jesus had acted that way that day? That would not have been true compassion. But yet, isn't that how we act many times? We say, well, I've only, I've only got a small amount of resources here. I have to budget my time wisely. I've got to be careful, count my pennies. and I've only got so much energy that I can, I can give. I've, I've, I've got to be careful that I reserve enough, enough of that back for me. That's not true compassion. True compassion is a willingness to give. Recognizing that while our resources may be limited, God's are not. And God will take what limited resources we have and will multiply them way beyond what we think is even possible. But we must be willing to give or else we're not truly loving and we're not truly compassionate. There's a couple of passages in the New Testament that speak to this. James chapter 2 is one of them. Verses 15 and 16, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what are the profit? What good does it do anybody for you to see someone having a genuine need and you have the ability to help meet that need, but instead of actually doing something to meet the need, you just say, well, I hope you'll be all right. That doesn't do anybody any good. If we refuse to give to meet other people's needs, we do not have compassion. We might be able to say that we're sympathetic. I have all the sympathy in the world for you. But that's not genuine compassion. The other passage that speaks to this is 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought, down, ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good... And seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? God wants us to show compassion to others like he has shown to us. The gospel is a gospel of compassion. God observed us, and he knew our need, and he cared enough that He gave His Son so that we might be saved. That's compassion. And it's that kind of compassion that as followers of Christ, as Christians, as believers in the gospel, we have been called to demonstrate that same kind of compassion to others. Because if it were not for Christ's compassion on us, we could not be saved. And so our life is to demonstrate God's compassion to the world. And when we do that, we can make a difference. Because Jude verse 22 says, and of some have compassion, making a difference. We need to have compassion like Jesus.
with heads bowed and eyes closed. I hope that as you have listened to the word of the Lord today, that you have heard the Holy Spirit instructing us in a very practical matter how to have compassion. I believe we would all agree that we ought to. Sometimes we fail to because we don't stop and think about the nuts and bolts of it. How do we actually do it? Well, it begins with observation. Take time to notice people. It continues with information. You've got to get to know people. Then you must have consideration, actually care. And finally, you have to be willing to give donation to meet their need. That's what God has done for us. And that's what God wants us to do for others. Heavenly Father, bless during this invitation time, I pray. There may be some here that need to take some time to confess their selfishness and their self-centeredness. And to adjust their focus and their perspective off of themselves so that they might notice the needs of others around them. Lord, I pray that they would. And there might be someone here who's never accepted the free gift of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And today as we've woven the gospel into this story about the feeding of the 4,000, the Holy Spirit has shown them that they've never accepted what you gave to meet their need. They've never trusted Christ. I pray that today they would make that choice and trust Jesus. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.